Michael Jordan said, the love of the game is the secret to being great at basketball. I really believe in coaching in the niche you're most passionate about, even if you're not as competent in it yet, because I think that passion is going to drive you to be better at it and to just show up in a better way than you would just picking something you're great at. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter, and this is our podcast, Building a Coaching Culture. And today we have a distinguished guest. We're so honored to have Brian Elwood. He's written this amazing book, Nail Your Niche. It's a really quick read. I run so slow nowadays that I can listen to the whole thing in a single run. And uh, I've read it three times and listened to it twice. So Brian, welcome. So just a, a quick hint at who our audience is. It's leaders of complex organizations who are competing and succeeding in this hyper-competitive global labor market. And we think to compete and succeed in that global labor market, you need to build a coaching culture. And to do that, you need external coaches, internal coaches, and a coaching program that speaks to your culture, speaks to your business plan. And so that's who we're talking to, and that's who's watching and listening. So with that said, uh, pass the floor over to you to introduce yourself and brag about the amazing work that you're doing. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. And you must run for a long time because the audiobook's about four hours long, I unless do. you're listening to two times speed, which would still be a two hour run. So <laughs> I was wondering about that. Well, if you did my hourly pace for a half marathon, you'd get the math okay. figured out. Well, I usually run at about an 11 minute mile pace. So probably slower than you. I would doubt that. Anyways, uh, yeah, my I'll give you the the quick kind of backstory on me. My journey started out in corporate America for a handful of years, and I wasn't too happy there. And I shifted into real estate investing. I built a company that fixed and flipped houses. I had that company for about seven or eight years, and we grew it to doing seven figures. I had eight team members. It was the biggest business I've ever run. You know, so I did learn a bit about leadership through that experience. Bought a few dozen rental properties. My, my whole goal was, you know, the financial freedom thing. And after that, you know, I didn't really want to pursue making money anymore. I, those goals kind of started to feel empty to me. And I really wanted to help people because I had originally gone to college to be a professor. I wanted to teach. I just always felt this urge to teach. I just, I'm that guy who, gives unsolicited advice and runs people off at the bar, you know, talking their head off about things I'm passionate about. I've gotten better at that since I get to do it for my career now. So I knew I had to transition into coaching in some way. And I figured, you know, the only thing I really know is real estate. That's what I've learned how to do. So I built a real estate coaching program. I helped hundreds of students buy their first rental properties. I did that for about five years and I just fell in love with the process of this growing this coaching business, you know, and the online education world. And like you read in the book, all I was doing was consuming 
information about how to figure out my coaching business. I wasn't even interested in the buying houses stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I transitioned to what I do now, which is helping people start their coaching businesses. And that's what I do. And that's why I wrote the book is kind of to share everything that I've learned. Uh, Aside from my career, I live in Denver with my wife and our almost two-year-old girl. And, uh, you know, we do all the outdoorsy stuff here. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. So I think you do an amazing job of distilling a ton of information into pretty clear, concise information. For me, it's the first time I've been able to sort through the nuanced differences between my why, the demographic I want to serve, and the niche product I want to deliver. I think you really, can you talk about that for a little bit? Well, I, let me ask you first, since you know your audience better than I do. Sure. Is there a specific thing that you think would be most helpful to kind of hone in on, maybe to start that off with? Well, probably the biggest mystery to everyone is the funnel, you know, how they get that funnel going. Because right now the world is their opportunity and you know, you got to sliver that down into this narrow niche, but then everybody you say yes to, you've said no to a hundred others. So a lot of them really struggle with that. It might be a good place to start. Yeah. Well, you know, when you say funnel to me, that sounds like, you know, lead gen and creating leads and funneling through a process. And if you, we were to use like a series of web pages as like the simplest illustration of a funnel, that's how a lot of people think about it. Go to this page in your email, then you go here and maybe you book a call and then you, I mean, really I've, I've spent, you know, plenty of money, like all the programs that are 10 grand and it's like 12 weeks and they teach you how to grow your coaching business. It's always create a high ticket offer and sell it from a phone call. You know, it's not building a convoluted funnel where you sell a $7 thing and try to get them and go to the $47 thing. Cause with no audience, you won't do very well. You don't have time to wait, wait for, you know, the three people that bought your $7 thing to hopefully buy your $997 course. So that's the first thing I'd say about a funnel is really, you know, if you think about how do you think this worked before the internet, you know, to make it real simple, maybe people went to networking events and talked to other people and maybe got to know each other, helped them for free a little bit, and then said, Hey, would you like some further help with this? We could work together. That might be how a consultant or coach type relationship worked pre-internet. And that's really the simplest way to think about getting clients as a beginner. It's really just go to whoever you want to be your client and talk to them and help them and then ask them if they want more help and not letting a lot of things like social media strategies and web pages and all these things kind of get in between you and serving those people. That's the first thing I would say, just at a high level. But really, if you were going to go back to the the web funnel example, you need to know what to write on those web pages, right? And you need to know what to say on the call and all these things. And that's kind of why I wrote this book is because, as you know, I I did all these things. Like, I'm going to start a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a webinar funnel. I'm going to do a YouTube channel. I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to have a $7 thing. I'm going to have a course and all these things. And I always thought those were like, those were the vehicles that grow 
an online education business. But it turns out that, you know, like in the book, I use the example of like my wife and I, we love cooking shows. We watch Gordon Ramsay all the time. And he always talks about how the secret to great cooking is, has nothing to do with like the equipment you have in the kitchen, but it's all about the ingredients that go into the pot, the high quality ingredients. You're thinking about a funnel. The success of that funnel has nothing to do with like how cool your web pages look, but it has to do with the content that goes into it. So what are you actually saying? Is your message hyper-focused, you know, like on picking a demographic? That's one thing we could talk about because that's one of the first steps. Like I have an upcoming program that I'm launching to help a handful of people get their first book on Amazon by the end of this year, self-published book. You know, I had so much fun with this one. I was like, I want to kind of show other people how to do this. When I launch that, it's going to be totally targeted at coaches, right? Not just anyone. Mm -hmm. And that one, it doesn't, might not seem like a big difference, but it really makes a difference when people are scrolling and they see something you posted or they open your email or they land on your webpage is because your program is for a specific demographic, right? Well, that's great. And I want to introduce you real quick to Lucas and Rosalie. Lucas is our millennial hey. generation. I'm the boomer. And uh, Rosalie is hey. Gen Z. So they'll jump in here. Or they have their own way of asking questions. So cool. Okay. So I guess when you're thinking about splitting off into a specific niche, it can kind of seem counterintuitive because, oh, I want to target everybody. What is the power behind choosing a specific demographic to target like that? You know, the online space, as you've probably noticed, is so crowded already, even though the internet's only been in existence, you know, for a couple decades, that if you're just brand new, it's really hard to get traction. It's hard to get a foothold. Like, let's say you're like, man, I love making online courses and I just want to help other people create their online course. And then you go out and you try to have that as your product. But there's so many other people out there that sell that. You've seen it everywhere, I'm sure, right? And a lot of them already have big followings and lots of credibility and stuff. So it's like, why would they pick Lucas's program on how to start your online course versus all these other people? But then what if, instead, what if you, you, know, you picked a niche, you were like, you know, I, I really love serving like attorneys or something like that. You know, I, I have a, I, I went to law school. I have kind of a background. I want to help attorneys launch their first online course. And then you do a quick search and you see that no one else is actually doing that one specific thing. Then you've created like your own blue ocean. If you're familiar with that, you know, concept and you're now the first, there's actually a book called zero to one. It's talking about companies like Uber and Facebook and why they're so successful is because they essentially took the market from having zero of that type of business to having one. You know, like Airbnb was the first and only business like that. It went from zero to one. And so you'd be taking the market from having zero people that help attorneys build their online course to having one. And so not only that, but if you are an attorney who has thought about putting your knowledge into a course and selling it, and you're scrolling and you see that there's somebody who 
specifically works with attorneys and that is who the program is for, they're going to be more likely to choose your program over the generic ones. Rosalie, what you got? Hi, Brian. It's very nice to meet you. My name is Rosalie. I'm a Gen Z. And so my question kind of relates to that. To use the metaphor you were talking about earlier with the ingredients and cooking something, say you're looking at the cookbook and trying to figure out what you're going to cook. What is your advice to people who are just starting out and trying to nail their niche? In the book, you know, I have like the subtitle is the seven ingredients of a six-figure online coaching business. Because I really think there are seven ingredients to figure out before you go to bat and try to start your business. You'll just have a lot easier time. And, you know, I, we can go into them sort of one by one if you want, like figuring out your why, figuring out your demographic, your niche, like the quantifiable end result you deliver is a big one. Was there any one maybe particular area where you're worried about the niche specifically or kind of all the ingredients together? The QER really resonated with me. What is that tangible thing that I'm going to walk away from my relationship with Rosalie or Lucas or you that uh, is of value to me? But if you could go through the whole list and then we'll come back to it, Brian. Yeah. So I chose nail your niche as the title, just almost because like I thought it would be catchy and I know a lot of people need help with their niche, but I kind of see that your niche is like, not just saying I'm going to be a leadership coach or I'm going to be a sales coach, but more like the overall ecosystem that you create where not only does that include the topic you coach on, but who you coach to and what you do for people. The first ingredient is what I call your why. And it's going to be a little difficult to really drill down on what that is, but it's kind of like the the underlying reason. Like there's a reason why you are sitting here doing this, JR, right? And you could probably fulfill your mission in some other ways, but you chose to build the business that you've built, but it probably came from a, a series of maybe things that happened to you in your past or stories or experiences, kind of made you who you are and what you believe. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so understanding that, like for me, I've just always kind of had this pattern of like, I was broke and I figured out how to invest in real estate. Uh, I got really bad eczema and then I figured out how to eat healthy. And then I was struggling to, you know, grow my coaching business and I figured that out. And so I, my why is just kind of this repeating pattern of, of having a, a problem and, and solving it in my own life and really wanting to share it with other people. I've always done that. And so that can be really helpful just kind of as a foundational thing for understanding why you do what you do and also seeing the broader opportunities you have because you don't have to pick one demographic and stick with it forever. You don't have to pick one result that you're going to help people with and stick with that forever. You just do that to be effective in your marketing and sales campaigns. The next ingredient is your demographic. You know, like we talked about, um, that's how you define your ideal client. So you don't want to say, I work with like people who are into personal growth because it's just too vague and everybody considers themselves to be like coachable and, you know, into personal growth. You want to say, I work with like moms or Marines or accountants or coaches or whatever. That just makes your messaging way more crisp 
and it pushes the wrong people away and the right people towards you. It makes sure that you really enjoy the clients that you have. You know, I just like coaches, you know, I'm enjoying being on this call, right. With like-minded people. And so you, know, you get to pick your customer. You, like, the, you know, the saying goes, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends, mm. but you can also pick your clients. And so I wish somebody would have like shook me at the beginning of my coaching career and been like, dude, who do you really like hanging out with? Who would you love to have a beer with? Why don't you just make that who you serve? And so you get to be with them all the time. So that's what I go into detail in on that chapter. The next one is your niche. So it's like, um, you know, the topic area that you coach on. And that's usually, you know, comes down to like what you're most passionate about. You know, you can just look at like JR has got this huge bookshelf. I bet if I sat there and looked at all of it, I could pick some major themes that he's mm-hmm. most passionate about. It probably, those books probably all fall into maybe four or five different categories or something. And then we would write those down score them all from one to 10 and try to pick the one with the highest score as his coaching niche, because then he would be the most excited about it. And um, I believe that passion is like the gas in the tank that gets you like Michael Jordan said, the love of the game is the secret to being great at basketball. I really believe in coaching in the niche you're most passionate about, even if you're not as competent in it yet, because I think that passion is going to drive you to be better at it and to just show up in a better way than you would just picking something you're great at, but not excited about anymore. Like I did with real estate for a while, which turned out to be a mistake. The next one is what I call nailing your promise. You know how like everyone talks about imposter syndrome in the coaching world. And it's like, ah, I just don't feel confident or I'm not sure I'm like qualified to be a coach. And that can happen when you are trying to speak to results that are maybe above your, your pay grade, so to speak. Like you just aren't quite sure you can do that for people yet. You know, if you're going to be a health coach, but you've just started, you know, and you can't really go out and tell people you're going to help them lose 50 pounds, but you've never even helped anybody lose five pounds for, you know, so you have to sort of start with what's really, uh, you know, authentic to your actual skill set. And then you don't have this like imposter syndrome. You're just genuinely being honest about what you can and can't do for people. That's really important. Uh, if you guys have read uh, Steve Chandler's book, The Prosperous Coach, he says in the book, speak only to that which you are certain. And he's really clear on that. And I like that advice. There's three more. One of them is the QER, which stands for quantifiable end result. And that is like, a hard endpoint. So you start with the big three markets, health, wealth, and relationships. And then you pick a result within one of those three. So you, so if you have your demographic and it was going to be attorneys and then you're like, I could help them with their health or their wealth or their relationships, right? And if you're going to go like the online course example, like we said earlier, that would be in the wealth category, right? But you wouldn't say, I help attorneys grow their wealth. You'd say, I help attorneys launch their first online course in 60 days. So the reason why that's a quantifiable end result is because you know for sure whether it happened or not. It's been 60 days. Is the course live or not? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really powerful in your messaging as well. I mean, you just think about, imagine yourselves, if you don't know these things yet, starting to put messaging out there with that level of specificity it creates like a certainty and there's a power to it. People read, oh, wow, this person knows who they serve. They know exactly what they can do for them in what time frame. Like 
that's just way more powerful than like, I'm a life coach or whatever. And I just help you with every area of your life, even though you might do that, it's just more effective from a messaging standpoint to pick a quantifiable end result. And then two more, your client's point A. So if they, if the point B or the end result is like the attorney's launching their first online course, then where are they starting from now? You know, what is their point A? You don't necessarily want to serve any and all attorneys, right? You, you're actually in that instance that we kind of already predetermined it. It's attorneys who have never launched an online course before. So this would be like their first go of it. Or if you were going to work with entrepreneurs, which is a popular demographic, you know, what stage of business would they be at? If you're, if you're, you know, and it kind of is tied to your quantifiable end result, but there's entrepreneurs who haven't even started yet. There's entrepreneurs who are making 10 grand a month or a million dollars a month and everywhere in between. Maybe some have three employees, maybe some have 50 employees. And it's powerful to identify like what stage of the person you can serve the best. If you serve, uh, let's say moms, you know, then is it a mom who is expecting, or is it a mom who just had their baby or the baby or the kids are grown up and they're in school? You know, what stage do they need to be at to get the best results from the outcome that you're going to provide? And then that ingredient goes into the messaging as well. So it's like, I have an amazing offer for moms whose kids have gone back to school and they are ready to reinvent themselves, you know, and start their online coaching business or something like that. And then it speaks to the person, the demographic moms, where they are today, and then where you're going to take them. I learned that from a lady named Eleanor Strong. She was my coach for a while. She's really good person to follow. The last one is unique angle, the last of these seven ingredients. And that is a bit more of a complicated one to break down, but it's about identifying what makes you unique and different. There's a few ways you can do it, but for my coaching program, you know, I did the, I I gave that Gordon Ramsay analogy earlier about, well, well, Gordon Ramsay has the most or third most Michelin stars out of any chef in the world. And so I was like, okay, Gordon Ramsay is all about the ingredients versus the pot, so to speak. And that's how, that's my approach to helping clients. And he's this Michelin star chef. So I'm going to call my method, the Michelin method, just to create a unique way of kind of branding what I do. Um, And that's one way that you can set yourself apart. Like I have a client who she helps women have been victims of domestic abuse to reinvent themselves and, you know, and you get their power back and kind of get out of the abusive situation. And we were coming up with her unique mechanism. We had to say, well, like what's unique about you and how can we tie this all together? And, uh, you know, she's very like matter of fact, like we're getting you out of the situation. And she's also a black belt in Taekwondo. And so we named her method like the black belt method, you know, and that's her unique mechanism, right? And so 
she's not just a coach, but people kind of have that way of remembering you. That's one way you can do it is you can give it a clever name. You know, I know it kind of sounds cheesy, like we're selling one of those products, info products online, oh, yeah, you're yeah, giving yeah. it your gimmicky name, but it, it works basically, you know, it's kind of identifying what makes you unique and putting it front and center. And then there's like other ways that you can do it. I'll just say one more thing. Cause I've been talking too long, but like the, uh, another way that you can really make yourself unique is actually by doing what we talked about you and I, Lucas, a second ago is just serving a demographic that has not yet been served, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like a friend of mine started a, a real estate mastermind for dentists. Mm-hmm. He was a former dentist, did it for years, very unhappy, escaped through real estate. And now he has this huge, really successful real estate investing mastermind, hundreds of dentists in it. They're all happy. They're escaping their jobs. He's making a ton of money. And do you think he would have been as successful, you know, if he had just created another cookie cutter real estate mastermind? Those are a dime a dozen. But he was the first person to ever do it for dentists. And so that's another way, aside from slapping a, a name on it, you know, is choosing a demographic that is not yet served. I guess the general theme here is we're trying to give you as, as good of a chance as possible of getting a foothold, you yeah. know, in this already crowded market when you start your coaching business. Yeah, it's hyper competitive. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people entering the market every day. And how do you break out of that noise? So everything you talked about, niches, 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 narrower, narrower, narrower. Now you've told us to say no to 99.9% of the world which I believe you have to do, but then talk a little bit about the big three, because at the end of the day, you got to be an unapologetic capitalist and chase some money or it's not going to come to you. So talk about those big three markets, please. I'm trying to think, you know, I think it was Russell Brunson's books that first kind of turned me on to the idea of the big three. It's basically like people just will open their wallet and they'll pay money for outcomes in the health, wealth, and relationships space. You know, if you think about it, it makes sense. If I have an opportunity that's going to, I'm saying it's going to make you more money than it costs, then it's an easy decision to buy. If I have an opportunity that's going to help you regain your health or cure sickness or regain your energy, what kind of price can you put on that? Or if I have an opportunity that's going to help you find the love of your life or save your marriage or reconnect with your kids or something that's important relationally, it's just like a no brainer. And a lot of the work that coaches do ends up helping with those things, but they may just not communicate that. And so the idea is to pick one and and you don't have to do this, right? There's people who are just kind of like, like I'm a spiritual coach and I help uh, people like break free and, and they use kind of language like that, where it's not quite clear exactly what they do. It's not like those people never get any clients, you know, and they never succeed. It's just that it's more challenging because, you know, try to remember the last time you've taken your wallet out and bought something that you, where you didn't know what you're going to get. It's harder to sell that. Mm-hmm. And so it's important. In fact, uh, you know, Russell Brunson, I'm sure you guys know who he is, founder of ClickFunnels. Um, you know, they do like 150 million in sales. He's the expert on coaching, marketing. Like he is the guy to go to. And he says that 
you know, not only do you need to pick one of the three, but you, you can't try to sprinkle other ones in. He, he said in all of his campaigns, like if he tried to like have a health, let's say he had a health and a wealth outcome as part of the offer, then sales would drop by anywhere from 50 to 90%. Because it's just kind of like, really, you're going to help me. This, this program is going to help me make money and get healthy. It just kind of lowers the believability of both of them. And so the idea is to pick one. And if you're open to that, then the next step is to think about the one that matters the most to you personally. Do you care about money the most or your health or your relationships? And just be honest, you know, everyone says that you're supposed to put your family first, right? And that, but some people care about money more than that, or they care about, you know, six pack abs more than anything or whatever. It's, it's okay. You know, you get to pick this, you're not a bad person, but I, I believe in picking the one that you personally care about the most. And then from there, you go, you niche down to like a quantifiable outcome. So you wouldn't just be a wealth coach, but you would be helping people create $2,000 in passive income per month via options trading or something like that. So you would go down to your quantifiable result, but it starts with identifying your big three and that's why you need to do it. So at the beginning, uh, you were saying, you know, I had this challenge in real estate, which got me to solve it and then, you know, have a success there. And then you mentioned a couple other challenges. How do you kind of foster that mindset where a challenge leads to opportunity instead of just, you know, getting knocked down? Great question. Yeah, that is a great question. Are you asking just how I think about approaching a challenge or, or problem solving? Um, I guess just um, how do you stay motivated to learn from these barriers and obstacles instead of getting slowed down by them? Yeah. You know, I don't have a great answer for that. I kind of have a belief in me that if you try hard enough, like you can solve just about any problem that you have, if you, if you're just relentless and you never give up. And I do think that figuring out all that real estate stuff and acquiring the properties was so much work. Right. And it's like, all my buddies were just chilling and going to the bars and stuff. And I was staying up till midnight and analyzing leads and like for years, and it wasn't any fun for a lot of those years. I remember like, I was so nervous to talk to homeowners uh, one time that I was, I was by myself in my house and I put on a suit with dress shoes. And I was like walking around on the hardwood floor and like the, the clicking of the shoes on the floor was somehow making me feel like, okay, I'm not a loser. I'm, I've got this, you know, cause I'm got the suit on. It was so cheesy, but like at the time, somehow it helped, but I like pushed through that. And I did all that stuff that was real uncomfortable. And that time period of, of gone through that has given me so much freedom. You know, obviously I was lucky that I bought a bunch of houses before the real estate market did what it did because it's just unprecedented, like how much it's gone up in value. So like overall, I know that I'm actually going to be able to be lazy and have more fun and do more, actually have more freedom overall, if I kind of 
put my nose down in the beginning. Brendan Burchard, who's one of my favorite, you know, mentors, he said at a at an event that he loves to be disciplined because discipline leads to freedom. And I didn't really exactly understand what he meant by that at first, but I think over time I started to understand it more. You know, so the it's like the irony is, you know, doing the stuff that feels like a huge obstacle. I know that it's going to be easier to tackle that now than to put it off. If you look at 10 years out, my life's going to be a lot better if I just stay motivated and and get through it, you know, as as soon as I can. I hope that sort of answered it. (laughs) Kind of what I heard you describing in in between your answer was you coached yourself to that self-discovery somehow. And that's the role we play as coaches is, we would have helped you through that self-discovery as your coach. Mm-hmm. You've been very gracious with your time and you're just a rock star. So appreciative of having you here and learned so much from you and going to continue to learn. So uh, thanks so much for being here and on, on behalf of the entire cohort. Dude, I had so much fun doing this. I'd be happy to do it again sometime. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. appreciate you and everything that you're doing. It's awesome. Anything we can do for you, let us know. Have a great night, morning, wherever you might be in the world. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.